0: All right, invite someone to church. That's one way to do it. We're gonna talk about that some today. And good morning again. I I wanna say to you from my heart thank you for coming. It's such a such a privilege for me to get to stand up in front of people that are willing to listen every week and share with you what God's been teaching me in the Word. It really is a privilege, and I don't ever take it for granted. It's such an honor, and it's such a thrill for me. This is just a wonderful thing. So thank you for coming and worshiping with us today. It's good to have you all here. We're wrapping up today our Welcome to Church sermon series. And this morning's installment is titled, entitled, We Are Missionaries in Our Community. The first three sermons in the series are going to be on our website, as I mentioned earlier. I think if you go to the website now, there's actually a homepage. I think there's something there. It's very incomplete. We don't have the messages up yet, but we're going to have the messages on there so you can go back. And they're just sort of baseline messages to help you understand doctrinally what we believe here at this church. So those will be up there probably this week by next Sunday. Um, we'll also have a calendar on there, and we're going to start posting every week the upcoming events. So if you ever call the church or you can't track one of us down because there's, it's just my wife and I, and we're coming in and working as much as we can throughout the week, um, you can go on the website or you'll be able to and click the calendar tab and, and find out what's going on at the church. So it's upcountrychurch.org. And uh, again, that'll be up hopefully this week. Um, we'll be adding a lot more information to that. Uh, as well. There are other things that you can learn about the church and other things that that are happening there. It'll be posted. So this series has been, like I said, this foundation for what we believe as a church. And evangelism, or spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, is a fundamental part of who we are here at Upcountry Church. A missionary, by definition, is of course someone who is sent out to spread the gospel. And I believe that we see in scripture that Jesus charged all of us sent us out to spread the gospel so we're all in effect missionaries in our community if we're answering that call okay and some of the folks some of our founding families we have three or four families here who have helped us since the beginning of this summer have heard some of this message today because throughout the summer I've been sharing little snippets of some of these messages to them so you've heard this before some of you guys But I'm gonna share this story again. I was, uh, a few months back, I read a book called The Pastor. It is, uh, Eugene Peterson wrote it. He's the same guy that wrote, uh, translated The Message Bible. And if you're familiar with him, a Presbyterian minister for 30 years now, just author full-time, older gentleman. the, The Pastor is his memoirs. And I read that book and he was talking about evangelism. And he said, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up in the Midwest, in a very strict, conservative Christian home. And my parents were very fundamental in their beliefs. And he said they used to tell me all the time, you know, Eugene, if someone gives you trouble in life, you turn the other cheek um, and witness to them more than anything. And you should always ask them the question before that encounter is over, do you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? You take every opportunity. You never miss an opportunity to invite someone to receive Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And he was talking about that, just hammered into him as a kid. And he said, I was a small child, physically in stature. I was little and I was very shy. And he said, when I went to school one particular year, there was sort of the classic bully at the school. Um, And he just singled Eugene out from the beginning, from day one, and began to pick on him after school. And he said this would escalate day after day and get worse until the point where... He would come out of school and this bully would show up on the road home with his henchmen. And they would rough up Eugene and knock him down and take his stuff. And Eugene would go home, usually upset, tell his parents. And they would say, Eugene, you need to turn the other cheek. Have you asked him if he would like to accept Jesus Christ as his his personal Lord and Savior? And he said, I would get so angry with my parents because I wanted them to, to tell me to punch him in the face. You know, I was angry, but they kept asking me, and day after day this went on. And he said, finally one day, I was to the point where I would actually get beat up. He'd come home with bruises and things, and his parents would say, have you asked him if he would like to accept Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior? And he said, I was fed up. So I woke up one morning in a bad mood. I'd had it. Wasn't having a particularly good morning. Didn't get enough sleep. Went to school. Didn't really have a good day. And on top of all that, I knew that on my way home, my daily beating was going to be coming. And he said, so sure enough, the bell rang, I went out, got my books, and I was walking home, and here comes the bully. And he said, about the time he gets to me and they start to heckle me and do their normal routine, he said, something in me snapped. He said, I don't know why that particular day, it just something snapped. And he said, as the bully began to come forward toward me, me, as he always did to push me down, he said, I just ran straight at him as hard as I could. And he said, I hit that kid in the midsection and he fell back on the ground and I looked up and all of a sudden I was on top of him. And he said the kid was really shocked and he was looking up at me and I was looking down at him and it was sort of this awkward moment of neither one of us could believe what just happened. And he said, I I did the very next thing that came to mind. He said, I just started swinging for the fences, punching this kid in the face. And he said, I'm just beating this kid up. And he's underneath me yelling, stop, stop, please, please stop. Get off of me. Stop. And he said, I'm punching him as hard as I can. I was so angry. And he said, it it all just kind of had been building up and it was coming out all at once. And I'm really giving this kid a beating and he's crying out, please stop. And he said, finally, I stopped. And he said, please get off of me. And he said, I looked down at him and opened my mouth. And he said, the words that came out of my mouth were, do you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and savior? And he said, the kid looked at me and said, what? And he said, I didn't know what to do, so I just started punching him again. <laughs> and he said, this went on for another minute or two, and I'm, now the kid's nose is starting to bleed, and I'm really beating him up. And the kid's crying for me to stop, and I stopped. And he said, he looked up at me, he said, please get off of me. And he said, I looked at him again, and I couldn't help. He said, I opened my mouth, because it's what I'd been trained for all these years. And I said, do you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And the kid said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, I didn't know what to do. So I just started punching him again in the face. And after another minute, he said the kid was just a mess. You know, blood coming out of his nose and his mouth. And it was this terrible scene. And he's crying for me to stop. And I stopped a third time. And he said, please get off of me. And he said, do you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And he said, the kid said, Okay, yes, I do. Yes, please get off of me. And he said, I got off of him. And I collected my books. And he said, all I remember is walking home that day with this incredible sense of satisfaction because not only had I vanquished my arch nemesis, but I'd made my first convert to the kingdom of God. (laughs) So that's Eugene Peterson's story of evangelism. I wouldn't recommend that. I don't know that we'll try that here at Upcountry Church. One official definition of missionary that I read is a missionary is a member of a religious group Sent into an area to do evangelism or ministries of service such as education, literacy, social justice, health care, and economic development. There are certainly different ways to spread the gospel. And generally, we wouldn't try to share scripture with someone and tell them about Jesus without feeding them earthly food if they're starving, right? We wouldn't try to convert someone to Christianity before we give them clothing and shelter if they're without clothing or if they're homeless. So acts of social justice, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, housing the homeless, offering health care to those that are sick, digging wells for clean drinking water for those who have none are all part and parcel with spreading the gospel. Jesus tells us throughout the New Testament, indeed throughout the Bible, we're commanded to take care of those in need, the poor. But it's always in the context of revealing Jesus Christ to those who are spiritually poor. Because if we take care of people's physical needs without addressing their spiritual needs, it's all for naught if ultimately they die without a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, so it isn't one or the other for the church. It isn't acts of social justice and then the gospel if we have time to get to it. And it isn't spread the gospel and ignore the physical needs. It isn't one or the other, it's both. Being a missionary in our community means being aware of and addressing both the physical and the spiritual needs of our neighbors. And it's the responsibility of each one of us to do our part in that, okay? Ephesians 4:15 and 16 says, "Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ." From whom the whole body, that's all of us, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part, that's each one of us, is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we all get to be a part of the process. There are no wallflowers in the kingdom of God. Okay. So the title of this message is, We are Missionaries in Our Community. Let me be clear today when I say I have no intention of driving to this church, this nice church every week, in my nice car, wearing my nice clothes, preaching a nice sermon to a group of wonderful people while ignoring those in our own neighborhood, in our own city, in this region, who may be hurting and needy, both physically and spiritually, okay? Upcountry Church exists in no small part to equip the saints, that's us, and build up the church to disciple other believers into a deeper walk with Christ. That largely happens within these walls. And I'm completely invested in that goal, by the way. I'm, I'm passionate about that. But we're also here to disciple one another into greater works, into greater acts of service, so that we aren't sticking our heads in the sand when it comes to lost people that live all around us okay so why is this missionary thing so important why can't we just live out our lives unashamed in front of society and that be enough I mean that certainly is part of being a Christian it is but why do we have to go out from here why do we have to work for the kingdom of God outside these walls why is that so important it's so important because it's so important to Jesus that's why one of the most definitive passages of Scripture on the subject of evangelism has to be Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. 19. That's what we all refer to as the Great Commission. As Jesus commands his disciples to evangelize the world, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. As we look at this verse and this topic, it's important, just as with any topic or verse in the Bible, to back away from it, and look at the context, the setting, the environment, the circumstances in which these words were delivered. Okay, It's also generally important when studying topically to compare Scripture with Scripture so we have a more accurate understanding of what the Bible says as a whole on any particular subject. Okay, So we're going to do that today with Matthew 28, 19. And back up a bit, and we're going to look at the bigger picture. Because I believe that the setting and the circumstances and the people in this story that revolve around this verse, play as significant a role in it as the words themselves. And I think you'll see just how important when we do that, this whole missionary thing is to Jesus Christ, okay? So we'll begin reading at verse 16, if you want to turn there. Matthew 28, excuse me, and we'll start at 16. I'm going to... Set the scene here even further back from there in both directions because we don't have time to read several chapters on either side of this passage right now. Okay, So verse 16, we'll start there. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. We know by reading before this that we're now in the period of time after the crucifixion and the resurrection and before the ascension, before Jesus leaves the earth and enters heaven. Jesus had earlier appeared to Mary Magdalene. In verse 1, it describes that and it says, And the other Mary, which is kind of funny to me that this person is recorded for all of time as the other Mary. But he appears to Mary and Mary and he gives them instructions of where and when to have the disciples meet him. Verse 16, we see the disciples show up to this meeting called by Jesus. And verse 17 says, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So although they weren't all yet convinced, Jesus had called this special meeting on this mountain and he's ready to give them some very specific instructions, directions. And as a side note, some scholars believe that there were a lot of others at this meeting that day because Jesus called the brothers to meet him. And if you cross-reference with other occasions when Jesus referred to the brothers, he was addressing the larger group that traveled with him and his disciples during his earthly ministry. There were a lot more than just the 12 disciples or the 11 at the end, you know, that traveled with them. There were families. And there was quite a, quite a group. So the point of all that is that some scholars say that those who doubted were probably not of the 11 original disciples. But that's just interesting information, and we can't really verify that, okay? So moving on. If we jump forward to Acts, we see that Jesus promises the Holy Spirit who's going to take over and leading the followers of Christ after he departs. So here's the big picture. Jesus, who's been leading this group of men, knowing that he's about to leave the earth and be replaced, and by that I mean replaced by the daily leading of his followers by the Holy Spirit. Knowing this, Jesus calls a meeting with these men that know him the best because he wants to share some final instructions with them. So think about it this way. When the CEO of a large company is getting ready to leave and be replaced by another, (coughs) And this applies to the president of the United States as well, anybody of a large organization. When the president's leaving office and a new president is coming in, typically the current president or CEO of that organization won't just walk out of the organization never to be heard of again and let the new guy just take over. What generally happens is the people who are most invested in that organization, the most familiar with its goals and mission, are called together to form a transition team. And then the outgoing CEO or president meets with the transition team and goes over the most important aspects, the the very top priorities, the goals, the mission of that organization. I can almost guarantee you that when Steve Jobs, the former CEO, founder of Apple, was turning over operations to Tim Cook, the, the new CEO, he wasn't saying things to him like, hey man, when you get ready to take a coffee break, got to go up to the third floor in the building because the coffee they make up there in the break room is way better than what they make down here, right? That would be ridiculous. They're talking about vision for the company, goals for the business, what, what needs to happen in order for the organization to continue growing. They're talking about the most important aspects of that company. When the president leaves office, I doubt he's talking to his transition team about the best places to, to play golf, and I hope not. They're talking about national security. They're talking about the economy and foreign policy. What's on the table are the most important issues. So here's Jesus calling his disciples together for a meeting just before his departure. And what does he do? He shares with them the most important aspects of the kingdom of God. He shares the vision. He shares the goal, what needs to happen to keep the kingdom growing. It's sort of a, an expansion policy, and it's the most important task for them to keep on with. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, and one of my professors at seminary often says that any time you see a therefore in scripture, you should stop and ask what it is there for. Okay. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, in other words, because I have all authority, I'm sending you in my authority to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is what Jesus chose to share with his followers, his transition team, if you will, right before he left earth. It's also significant to note that there's no way that those 11 men could have possibly made disciples of all nations, right? Clearly, Jesus was instructing all of his followers, present and future, that includes all of us, to make disciples. It's our job. What does that mean? It means evangelize, lead people to Christ and then invest in them that they may mature in the faith. In in Jesus' words, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's why we have the church. It's all about making disciples of Christ and building a community of faith that strengthens the body so that it can build itself up, which we read earlier in Ephesians, okay? So let's just get down to, to brass tacks because it all sounds good, up to this point. But how do we actually do that? How do we actually become missionaries in our community? Do we go out on the street corner with a bullhorn and shout at people? Do we, do we go through the city with a, with a sign board on us that, holding up a sign that says, the end is near? People have tried that, right? I think we have to go back to the Bible and see how God used his people to spread the gospel. What worked? What was effective? What did he do to model for us? Okay, Predominantly, I think we see two overall methods at a high level of evangelism in Scripture. First, we see group evangelism and discipleship. This happened consistently through the local church. In Acts 2, as we see the New Testament church forming, verses 42 through 47, paints this beautiful picture of the local church functioning at a very high, very productive level. These verses describe their activity. They were meeting together consistently, taking care of each other's needs. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And at the end of the passage, after describing all this church activity that they were doing, it says in verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's important to point out here that the verse says that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, okay? Because it's the Lord who saves people. We don't. The Lord does it. However, he calls people to himself through our ministry. And in this passage, he was doing just that through the local church. The church was, was functioning as it's supposed to, and through that ministry, the Lord added to their number. Okay, if we look at Acts chapter 11... Verses 21 through 26, we see the church in Antioch. Again, the local church in Antioch is ministering to the people in their city. And this passage describes all of these people being saved and discipled through the ministry of the local church. Starting in verse 21, this is a description okay, of the church in Antioch. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. It's become sort of in vogue a bit. I don't know if that's the right phrase. It's become popular at least with younger people in the last decade or so to stop coming to church, particularly consistently. I know folks, they'll bounce from church to church to church. But what we see consistently in the local church in Scripture is when, when the church was following the directives of the Lord, when the church was doing what it's supposed to, people weren't just going out and leaving. People were going out and bringing people back. They were sending people out and getting others and bringing them back to say, hey, look, you got to see what's going on over here in Antioch. There's something going on. And he, and he stayed for a whole year and taught them and many people. A great many people, it says, came to the Lord. You see, God is intentionally planting churches in the New Testament in local communities that people will come, right? But, but we have to go out and get people and bring them in. But he uses the church for group evangelism, group discipleship. We see it over and over again. Okay, this local church working together as a body, transforming their city for Christ, Make no mistake, God uses the local church, which is his creation, by the way, to transform communities and cities. The local church is needed. This isn't just about individual effort, and we'll talk about that in a minute, because that's part of the deal, but let's be clear. God designed and established the local church as a tool for evangelism and discipleship in communities all over the world. As leadership in the local church... I'm responsible for making sure that we use our resources in a way that is actually ministering to people. And in just a few more minutes, we're gonna talk about some specific things that we're getting ready to, to, to do, things that are getting ready to happen through this church so that we can start reaching out to our community, okay? But the local church can only function effectively if each person in the church is doing their part. So what does that mean practically for us here today? Upcountry church, you might say, is just, it's just a little church, Rob. I mean, it's brand new. What needs could there possibly be right now? How can I fit in and contribute to the ministry of this little church? Well, I'm glad you asked. We have a worship ministry and a music ministry in this church. We have some great musicians here right now, but I don't want to burn them out. And it's the same folks, for the most part, all the time. We have media ministries here. Two computers that run video and PowerPoint. Some of them not so well. Need to be replaced because we've got hand-me-down stuff. But there's one up here and there's one downstairs. They don't run themselves. We don't have enough people manning our computers yet. So the same people are doing it every week. Kayla comes up here and sings and goes back there. And we have the same people doing the same jobs. We have a soundboard back there that Keith is running each week because there isn't anyone else other than Keith qualified yet to run it, Keith does a great job, and he's been training my son, and he's getting there, but we need more than two people that are able to run the sound system. We have children's ministries going on every week downstairs. We don't have nearly enough children's workers yet for those ministries, so the same people are serving week after week. We have a pile of maintenance and repair issues with this building that haven't been addressed yet. We we did a lot of renovation here, if you'd seen it before, Um, And there's some pictures, I think, before pictures, maybe on Facebook, but we did a lot of renovating. But there are several issues happening still. There's a a wall downstairs in the kids' church room that the paint bubbles up and flakes off because every time it rains, water comes through the wall. Well, we know what's happening. There's a gutter that's loose and there's a couple of things, but, but we're running in 10 different directions all the time. And so it's one of the things we can't get to. Poor May, Keith's wife has painted that wall about 15 times. The paint flakes off and we paint it again. We need to fix the problem. You see what I'm saying? There are all kinds of things that that need to happen here. We need people with some time and skills to help keep the building in working condition so that it can continue to be used for ministry. We have a cafe back there that is currently more of a, a sitting room than a cafe. We're very thankful for it, but we need the equipment and personnel to man that area so that it can begin to truly function as a cafe. And that, by the way, will become a tool for outreach for us. We need people to serve as ushers and greeters in our services. We have plenty of needs in this little church and plenty of ministries for you to be a part of. And when you commit yourself to serving the church, you're doing so much more than just helping out with something nice. You're taking an active role in the, in the discipling missionary process of this church as we minister to each other and new folks that come through those doors each week. And as we grow, so will the needs and so will the ministry. But know this the local church will only be as effective as its members are committed. It's just a fact. The local church will only be as effective as its members are committed. So I'm asking you, what are you willing to do for your church? What are you willing to give? The answer to that question is directly tied to how effective this church, which is all of us, I hope, will be in transforming our community and this city for Christ. Okay? So I'm just encouraging you to get involved because I believe that God wants to use upcountry church. I believe this. I move 5,000 miles because I believe this. I believe he wants to use upcountry church to change the culture in Traveler's Rest and beyond in our region. So just, you know what? If you have an interest in a ministry downstairs, talk to my wife. If you have an interest in a ministry up here, come talk to me. Amen, we'll plug you in. All right, that's group evangelism and discipleship through the local church, what we see in Scripture. The other predominant method of spreading the gospel that we see in Scripture is personal evangelism and discipleship. That's you and I spending the time and energy to invest in other people, one-on-one, building relationships and walking them through life, cultivating this process of discipleship. Throughout the eighth chapter of Acts, we see Philip, a follower of Christ, both witnessing to crowds and to individuals. He did both. In verses 26 through 39, he encounters this Ethiopian eunuch which is like a a royal servant to the queen of Ethiopia out on the road and he witnesses to this eunuch one-on-one leads him to the faith in Christ and then baptizes him it's a cool story in the 16th chapter of Acts we see Paul and Silas they lead a Philippian jailer to Christ and then they they encounter his entire family and through personal evangelism they lead the whole family to Christ and baptize them Okay, it's personal evangelism. We see Jesus himself, of course, is the greatest example of this one-on-one personal evangelism. In John chapter 3, he witnesses to Nicodemus. In John chapter 4, he witnesses to a Sumerian woman at the well. Okay? There's also a lot to learn about discipleship through personal relationships as we study Jesus' relationship with his disciples, Paul's relationships with Silas and Barnabas and Timothy and Titus. It's all one-on-one discipleship, one-on-one personal evangelism. In fact, the entire gospel narrative is about the reconciliation of people to God through a personal, ongoing relationship. And I'm convinced that of the two, although we need both, the most effective, most long-lasting effect we can have on people for the kingdom of God is through one-on-one personal relationship Relationships this whole deal is about relationships. We can put on the greatest show on earth in this church But if there aren't very real Street level feet on the ground relationships. I mean where we can be real with each other and we can walk with each other through life We won't have a lasting effect on anyone It's all about relationships. We must make personal connections with people in the church and outside of the church if we're going to be effective missionaries. That doesn't always have to mean walking up to strangers, by the way, in the grocery store or wherever and telling them about Jesus. It might mean that. It might mean that. The Holy Spirit, if he's telling you to do that, that may be something you do. I've I've seen that happen. I've done that a couple of times, but more often than not, if you'll open yourself up to being used by God in personal evangelism, he will present you with plenty of opportunities to share the gospel, often with people that you already know. And there are all kinds of programs and models and things that that we learn in church coming up, evangelism explosion, all kinds of things. They're all good. But at the end of the day, what they do is they, they give you a vehicle by which you can go up and have a conversation with someone. All it is, all of those programs, all of those models at the end of the day, are you sitting down with someone in a very real way and sharing your heart, sharing Jesus. This is, hey, let me just tell you, this is what Jesus has done in my own life. Nothing fancy, but pretty amazing for me. He's transformed me. He's changed my life. I'm not the same person I used to be. I'm not, you don't have to take somebody through a baseball diamond or 12 steps. Although those things are good, I'm not making fun of that. It's good. You got to share your heart with people. You got to tell them about Jesus. You got to be a friend. You got to listen when they're in need. You gain people's trust. You see what I'm saying? I don't care what they do. I don't, I don't care where they work, where they've been. Jesus hung out with some pretty seedy people. Because <laughs> it's all about the kingdom. You know, it's about it's about relationships and sharing your heart with people. So don't be intimidated. It doesn't have to be a program. You don't have to be a preacher. You just got to share your heart with people, okay? God constantly led people to Paul that he could witness to. In Acts chapter 28, Paul's in Rome under house arrest. How easy would it be if you were confined to your house under arrest to justify not witnessing to people? I mean, I hear people say things all the time about why they don't witness to people, and I understand. But, I mean, if anybody had an excuse, it was the Apostle Paul. He's locked up in his house, right? Sorry, God. I mean, you told me to obey my earthly authorities. I'm stuck here. There's nothing I can do. But Paul was always open to being used by God, and God knew that, of course. So in verses 30 and 31, it says, He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance, because God people God led people to Paul. You see, Paul's witness wasn't hindered, even under arrest, because he allowed God to constantly use him no matter his circumstances. God will use you today in witnessing to others, if you will let him, no matter your circumstances. It's the truth. God will lead people into your path or he'll lead you into theirs so that you can develop a relationship that points them to him. And beyond that, he'll afford you opportunities to journey with people through life so that you can disciple them. Okay? More often than not, by the way, that's a long-term commitment and it's usually a lot of work. When when you get into a relationship with someone, a discipling relationship, that's usually a long-term thing. But there's nothing better than seeing someone mature in Christ as you experience life with them. It's a beautiful gift to experience that. Have you ever considered that someone may be in your path right now in your life because God put them there for you to witness to and maybe even disciple? Have you ever thought about that? We get people in our lives all the time and some of them we like and some of them we really don't like. I just encourage you to always remain open to God's purposes in every relationship in your life and to the possibility of a new relationship with those who cross our path every day. Because often that's the Lord. I try not to ever dismiss a personal encounter with other people as random anymore. I believe God is constantly giving us opportunities to engage people in relationship for his sake. Don't miss it. Be alert to what God may be doing at any given encounter in your life. And listen, um, I, the whole spiritual gifts, we talked about that last week. And I know folks who would like to see uh, you know, prophetic gifts happening every moment and, and uh, supernatural things happening all the time. And that would be, that would be fun. <laughs> but the reality is, the gift the supernatural work of god is the regeneration of our souls when we accept him as a personal lord and savior i'm not discounting the spiritual gifts i believe in them and i believe in the operation of them in the church but that's the exception to the rule you understand that we we go from we want to live from miracle to miracle those were highlights in the bible there were decades in between often when Maybe nothing significant in terms of a miracle happened in someone's life. God's functioning in our everyday mundane life all the time. That's a miracle too, you know. But I'll tell you, I have seen things happen. Just not tons, but things, supernatural things happen in my life. I was leading worship at a church in Greenville 15 years ago or better. And I was getting ready for the service to start. And... I was, I was in a place in my life where I was ready to give up the ministry. I was in a really low spot and just sort of had it. And I had been praying all that evening before the service. I said, Lord, I, I need you somehow to get through to me, to tell me that this is what I'm supposed to be doing because I'm not feeling it anymore. And I feel like I need to get out of this. And I was praying that prayer over and over again, just going through the motions, getting ready. And so the service started and people came in and filled up the church and I noticed a guy walked in the back wearing a business suit, which was odd for that church. It was very casual. And he stood back there. I didn't know him. Went through the whole service. And at the end, this guy came walking up to me and he said, excuse me, he said, this is probably really strange. And forgive me if this doesn't resonate with you, but I have to say this. He said, I live in Michigan. I'm here um, on business um, with, uh, I think it was Michelin or one of our big companies here in Greenville. They flew me in here. I was on my way to my hotel, and the Lord told me to turn onto this highway here. So the guy's a Christian, and he felt like he was hearing the voice of the Lord. He said, I turned. I had no place to be that evening. I drove up this road, and I saw your church, and I really felt like the Lord was saying, you're supposed to pull in here and go into the service. And he said, okay. So he said, this has never happened to me before, by the way. He said, I've never had this kind of an experience, so I'm a little nervous about this, but I'm just being honest with you. I really felt like the Lord was telling me to do this. And as soon as I walked in and I looked up and saw you on the stage, the Lord told me I was supposed to come up to you and tell you that you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing and to stay the course. Now, that's either the biggest coincidence in all of time or God was speaking to this man and he was obedient to the encounter he was having with the Lord, to be led, to speak into someone's life. That wasn't an ongoing discipleship thing, but it's part of the reason I'm standing here today. (laughs) I was ready to quit. You see, one of the the best, most effective, and easiest ways, by the way, for you to witness and to disciple to others, to be sensitive to the opportunities before you, to invite someone to church with you, We're going to talk more about this as we share our vision for this church at the start of the new year. Our goal, our vision for Upcountry Church from the time we opened three weeks ago to the end of this year has been simply to let folks in our area know that we're here and that we care about them. We're just getting established as a church. But starting in January, we're going to lay out before each of you the vision for 2013 here at Upcountry Church, and I can tell you that it revolves around growth in every area of our individual lives and in our church life, okay? This church must grow if its value and influence in this city are to grow. God builds his church, but he builds it through people. He builds it through us. So, so please, if it, be sensitive to those encounters. Invite neighbors. I mean, and it, the easiest way to witness to someone is to simply bring them with you to church. If I'm doing my job, they're going to hear the word of God presented. But I can't bring everyone in, right? It's up to you. It's up to me too. It's up to all of us. So please invite your neighbors. Invite your friends. Invite your coworkers, family members to come to church with you. The bigger we grow, the further our reach, if we're doing what God's called us to do. Ultimately, you know what I hope? I hope that we have so many people, we have to add a service. And I hope that we have so many people after that that we have to start planting new churches. That's really, I'll just let you in on a little secret. One of my passions in life, my heart, is to plant churches. I don't i don't necessarily have to pastor a 10,000-member church. The mega church is great. I'm not looking for that. But I would love for us to be so healthy and so vibrant and growing so fast that we're sending people out and planting other churches. Okay? So there's group evangelism through the local church and discipleship through the local church. There's personal evangelism and discipleship in our individual lives. And I'm, I'm wrapping up here. My personal favorite is when those two things come together. For months, my family and several others drove to this church building every day. We grabbed handfuls of tools, us and our friends, paint brushes. We went to work. Many days I spent out in the front yard here, standing at the back of my pickup truck with a saw cutting wood. And, and Keith and I built that sound booth, and we opened up doorways and did all kinds of things. Lots of days spent at the back of my pickup truck working out in the front yard. Most days, as it was summertime, people in this neighborhood would walk by at different times of the day, just out walking with their family or walking the dog or whatever. Every time that happened, and I was outside at the truck to see them, I'd stop and go out in the street and have a conversation with them. Really cool experiences. I met Joe and Jason and Amanda and Philip, and I met Earl and Michael and Kendall and many others. People all around here. At every opportunity, I told them about our church, and I invited them to come. Occasionally now, I see some of them in town. I was in Lowe's the other day or at the grocery store. And I'll see them from across the store and they'll come running across the store and talk to me. It's really cool. You know what? None of them are coming to church here. I haven't led any of them to the Lord. I haven't begun discipling any of them. But I've started relationships with them. And I'm praying for them all the time. Just like I do for each of you every day. I don't know what God might want to do through these relationships, but I know that whatever it is, I don't want to miss it because I'm too preoccupied with other things. And so I met a family that lives three doors down from our church. Rick and Jasmine and their two little kids. Rick and Jasmine haven't had it easy. Life has thrown them a few curveballs, and I can tell you from our conversations, they're struggling. I don't know all that God wants to do with our relationship and our proximity. To this family but I know even if they never step foot in this church building God wants us to love them and help care for them and in the process he will give us opportunities to share the truth of the gospel with them I believe that when I talk about transforming our community our city that's what I'm talking about okay it starts with one family at a time this is a small church yes We don't have lots of resources at this point, no. So we're going to do what we can, because it's what we can do. We're going to start with one family, and we're going to adopt these guys for Thanksgiving. And we're going to provide their Thanksgiving meal for them. I've talked to them about it. They're very open and very thankful, I can tell you, for that. Otherwise, it would be like any other day for them in their house, getting by with what they have, what they can we need you to sign up in the cafe. We need you to help supply the meal. And then on Wednesday the 21st, the night of thanks, after our time together of fellowship, after we give thanks for all the great things God's done for us, we're going to box up all that food and we'll send a family over, or my wife and I will go over, and we're going to take them the food. We, we don't want to all go. <laughs> I want to overwhelm them with 35 people all at one time. But listen, this is an opportunity for this church, all of us, to do something collectively that is intensely personal for a family in great need. We can only do this for one family right now. But what if we had twice as many people here? What if we had three or four times as many people? What if we had ten times as many people? You see, if we grow this church, our reach is extended. As our resources grow, what we can accomplish For the kingdom of God is multiplied. But for now, it starts with one family. And that's what we can do. So please stop by the cafe. Sign up to bring some items on the night of thanks. And we'll collect them that night. And as I said, then we'll distribute them when we're finished, okay? At Upcountry Church, we are missionaries in our community. But we're only as effective as we are committed. All right? Would you bow your heads with me? So until I know every single person at this church on any given day and know where your heart is with the Lord, I'm going to ask this question. So forgive me if it feels redundant for those of you who have been coming. But it is the right thing for me to do. I don't ever want to miss a chance to invite someone to be part of this kingdom of God. Before we can commit to being part of the church and its ministry, we have to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. That's how we become a part of his church. We are the church when we make that commitment. So I want to extend this invitation to anyone and everyone here today that would say, yes, I want to become a follower of Christ. And you know what? Maybe, maybe you've been a follower of Christ before, and maybe you are now, but you just want to make a fresh commitment to him today. Or maybe you never have before. I don't know. If that's you... I'm going to ask you in just a moment to raise your hand and you can put it right back down. For those of you who have been here, you know, I'm not going to call anyone forward. I'm not going to publicly recognize you. I just need to know if there's anyone who wants to make that commitment to Christ. And if so, we'll all pray together as a church out loud. So I'm not singling anyone out. Every week we've had people raise their hands and receive Christ at this church. It's been wonderful. So if that's you today, would you just take a moment right now if you say yes, you know, I'd like, to, I'd like to make a new commitment to Christ in my life. I'd like to make a first, maybe it's a first-time commitment. Maybe you've done it many times. I have done this many times in my life. Would you just raise your hand up now and you can put it right back down? Yes. Anyone else? Yes. Are there any others? Anyone else? okay, well we're just going to simply pray this prayer together and I'm just ask everyone if you would, we've prayed it three weeks in a row, to pray this with me out loud. If you would just repeat after me and the key is not that we pray just the right words, although that is important, but that we pray this from your heart as we seek to commit ourselves to the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, I admit to you today that I've sinned in my life and I believe that you gave up your life for me that I might be forgiven for my sins and have eternal life. So I ask you now to forgive me for all of my sin. Save me and make me new. And I ask you now, Jesus, to be Lord over my life. Come live in me. And I commit to follow you the rest of my life with our heads still bowed if we could just close with this prayer Lord we ask you today to show each of us how we can best serve you Lord we know that you've placed gifts in each one of us talents and and desires and and interests and skills and ultimately that we would use those for your kingdom that's why we have them so would you please help us to be sensitive to your leading over the coming days direct us as to how we can best minister to those people around us, both within the church here and outside. that We need your guidance to be sure. We need your strength, and we need your voice in our lives. So so we submit to your direction and leading, and we ask you to allow this church to be a part of a great harvest of souls for your kingdom in Traveler's Rest and beyond. And we trust you. And we love you. And we ask all of this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, church, we love you. And we're praying for you. Thank you for coming. Please come back next week and bring someone with you. Be blessed. We'll see you soon.